0: Welcome to Nighty Night with Rabia Chaudhary, bedtime stories to keep you awake. I'm DJ Lubel, the show's producer. Tonight's tale is about a woman who was born with what many would consider a gift. She has an incredible sense of smell, but as you'll quickly learn, what might be one woman's treasure is another woman's putrid, rotting trash. Please enjoy Rot. Please stop looking at me like that. I'm not crazy. You know how hard I've worked my entire life to stay sane? It takes a lot with my condition. I've had to learn to manage by filling my house with candles and potpourri, air fresheners and linen sprays and incense and sweetly scented dryer sheets and drawers. When people get close to me, they're like, Oh, you smell so good. And I know I do. And I should. I mean, I better. I roll my eyes when people ask me what perfume I use, as if just a perfume would do. I mean, it takes layers. Scented bathwash and perfumed lotion and talcum powder, deodorant, body mist and eau de toilette, and at least two different eau de parfums mixed and placed at different points in my body, on my wrists, on the inside of my elbows, behind my earlobes, and even on the little bony protrusions of my clavicles. I massage my head with scented oils, I even wash with perfumed shampoo, and when it's just slightly damp, I spray it with a light little mist. I mean, it just, it takes so much to cover up the rot. You know, I've been dealing with this since middle school, and I wasn't even aware of it until I became a running joke in class. Some of the kids started calling me a garbage pill kid. Remember those? They would hold their nose when I walked by and snicker at me when I passed... And then someone left a note on my desk telling me that no one sat next to me because I smelled like curry and trash. But curry? Well, I mean, how was I supposed to escape that? Not a day went by that my mother didn't start her morning by frying onions and tomatoes and garlic, ginger, cumin, cloves, turmeric, mustard seeds, and God knows what else. Because for her, having dinner made and out of the way before heading to work made her evenings easier. But it made our days harder because it didn't matter if we were freshly showered. We never left the house without smelling like a pot of chicken tikka masala. So yeah, I already knew that I smelled like curry every day. But the trash part, I didn't understand. I remember running to the bathroom with a note and locking myself into a stall. And then I sniffed every part of me from head to toe. My hair, my shirt, under my arms. I leaned over and sniffed my jeans. I sat down in the toilet and lifted a foot to my nose, and then it hit me. It was my shoes. There was a putrid rot coming from them, and I had not realized it until that moment. And I had worn those shoes, those black lace-up ankle boots, for the better part of the entire school year every single day. I didn't own any other shoes, and I only owned two pairs of socks that I saved for gym class no one told me that weeks and months of wearing them for 10 hours a day without socks would turn them into rank swamps that night i went home and scrubbed the insides of my shoes with bleach see mother only bought me one pair of shoes a year and i still had to get through two more months with these i began lining my shoes every morning with clean paper towels and giving them a sniff before leaving home to get on the bus I vowed never to let any part of me, not my clothing, shoes, breath, hair, skin, smell unpleasant again. I was really diligent about it and I didn't just become sensitive to how I smelled. I developed a hound dog's nose for how the world around me smelled and it didn't smell good. It's mostly rot. I swear it's not just in my head, the rot. It's real. I smell it everywhere. Not just on me, on everyone. And that's the hard part. See, I can bury my rot in layers of scents. I can fill my home and my car with deodorizers and air fresheners, but I can't do anything about the rot from the bodies of others. After all, we are basically just walking sacks of skin that hold together unimaginably foul fluids, bile, urine, sweat, saliva, pus, and of course blood. You know, I began working from home years ago, claiming disability, and my condition is disabling, to be fair. It can be quite debilitating being under constant attack by forces that no one else can even sense. I just couldn't take it anymore. Smelling what another co-worker had for their lunch on their breath, or having a colleague lean over my desk and expose me to the odor of their monthly cycle. Once, at a pool party, My boss lingered a little too close, and I caught a whiff of his belly button. I know, I know, you don't believe me, but there are few places on the human body as filthy and fetid as a belly button. I didn't actually realize this until, hmm, I think I was in my late teens. I had stepped out of the shower, all squeaky clean, and all of a sudden I smelled something decaying. It took me a good ten minutes to figure out I was smelling my own belly button. Since then, I keep mine clean with hydrogen peroxide and Q-tips. You should try it sometime. Dig around and see what muck emerges. You're a walking sewer and don't even realize it. Anyway, I do my best not to go out much. For the most part, if I can keep a few feet distance from people, I'm okay. But there are times that the collective public stench is overwhelming. So then just imagine how hard things have been for me at home. You understand, right? I mean, the people you're expected to get close to, to always be holding and touching and cuddling. My husband and my child, that is, each with their own particular essence. Well, how was I supposed to manage that? You know, I was always worried about getting romantically close to someone, but then I thought, well, the chemistry of love would be the cure for my ailment, that a heart full of adoration would overwhelm my olfactory senses that my system would be flooded with pheromones that blocked out whatever else I could normally sense. And in all honesty, that's what it was like in the beginning. And even in later years, there were times that it would happen, like, like the times when my husband's skin smelled like petrichor mixed with bleach from his undershirt, or he smelled like a clean bar of soap and warm tea, or the times that I held my infant son without a trace of rot, his body soft and sweet, smelling of heaven. There are times like that, but then the pheromones fade away and children grow up, which is how I ended up here. Look, it's not fair to blame me. The truth is this situation was unavoidable. I did my best to be a loving wife and mother, but I still remember the first time that my husband's breath nearly knocked me off my feet. It wasn't the sour bad breath that we all get every so often. It was as if I was smelling the inside of his gallbladder right through his mouth. I nearly choked. How can someone's breath smell like a toilet? Like literal feces? The smell would come and go. And the crazy thing is absolutely nothing else about my husband ever smelled. Even when he was drenched in sweat, he didn't smell. His feet didn't smell, his underarms didn't smell. The odors that are typical of a night of intimacy, you know what I'm talking about. Even those weren't present with him. That was probably why I married him. Nothing about him turned me off. But then the breath thing started a few years into our marriage. And like that, I began avoiding him like the plague. I felt terrible, to be honest. I mean, he would come up behind me to steal a kiss and I would turn my head. He would want me to put my head on his chest as we watched TV. And I couldn't even breathe. I would joke about him needing some gum. But gum couldn't fix this. I bought special mouthwashes and toothpastes. I even got him a water flosser. I made homeopathic concoctions for him to gargle with. Of course, over the months, he started getting irritated. And my jokes eventually turned into anger. It wasn't my fault that his breath stank. He knew how sensitive I was, how much care I put into making sure that nothing about me is offensive. I begged him to go see a doctor. I knew there was something going on in his body causing those fumes, but he just wouldn't. Instead, he called me a bitch, said I was mean and cold. I'm not mean and cold. I didn't reject him over and over because I hated him. I missed wrapping myself around him. I missed our hugs and kisses. I missed nuzzling his neck and the soft warmth of his skin. I wanted to get close to him but it was almost as if, as if he was trying to spite me. Yeah, I think that was it. He didn't want to solve the problem just to spite me. Come to think of it, I wasn't the one rejecting him. He was rejecting me. Anyway, we grew apart over the years for lots of reasons, but I know the physical distance was a big part of it. I'll have you know that even then, I was a good wife. I took care of the home, I cooked for him. I entertained his friends, even the ones that reeked of cigarettes and wet dogs and body odor and weed. Most importantly though, I always stayed faithful to him. And all of the love that I had to give, all of the affection bursting inside of me, I directed towards our son. He was my miracle baby, you know. I was closing in on 40 when I learned I was pregnant. We'd been trying for a few years and then just kind of gave up decided we didn't need children to be happy and that's when, of course, it happened. You'll find it interesting, that was around the same time that the stench began rising from my husband's innards and up into his mouth. At first, I thought maybe my pregnancy was making me hypersensitive. You know how a pregnant woman suddenly can't stand the taste of meat or the smell of lemons or weird stuff like that? I thought the change wasn't with him, it was with me. And he thought so too. But then, I had the baby, and the odor didn't go away. When I think back now, I realize my husband was gaslighting me. He kept saying it was in my head, the rot, but if that was true, then everything else that I could acutely smell, good or bad, was always in my head. You agree, right? We all know that was not possible. Do you have kids? No? Oh, goodness, can I tell you? There's nothing like it. How clean and sweet babies smell. They don't have a trace of the rot. Not a baby's breath, not how their hair smells, not even their feet. I used to nibble on my son's feet until he turned two, I think. Do you think it's mother's milk that makes them smell so fresh? They should make candles scented like that. Mother's milk scented candles. Anyway, we aren't born with the rot, that much I know although eventually we turn into skin bags full of stinky fluids. You want to know how that happens? Well, lean in just a little bit and let me share a secret with you. Our insides, you see, they don't start off disgusting. When we're babies, well, we're pretty much angels, full of light, not a speck of evil. But then we grow up and our thoughts become filled with dark things, and we end up doing dark things in dark places. Our fluids churn with the ugliness that we harbor. You see, we end up poisoning ourselves with our lies and secrets and bitterness and hate. With our envies and gluttonies. We fill ourselves with rot. Rot that we've cultivated by our very own selves. My son was just all sweetness until he turned about nine. And that was the first time that I smelt it, when he wrapped his arms around me for a long, lingering bedtime hug. He had shot up so tall that summer that his head tucked neatly under my chin. In other words, it was right under my nose. And I had to fight the impulse to push him away. Fight not to gag from the odor of sweat on his head, making his hair slick and foul. It just takes once, you know. If I get one single whiff off of someone, well this shield goes up forever after that point every time they get too close i will brace myself it really interferes in relationships you know that natural affection a mother has for her child it completely ruins it i started to avoid sitting too close to my son avoiding hugs and saturday morning cuddles while we watched cartoons the only time i pull him close was when he had just gotten out of a shower and was fresh as a daisy and that usually lasted less than an hour. His clothing began smelling different, and I just couldn't bring myself to do his laundry anymore. I can't tell you how hard it was on me to be pushed away from him like that. Yes, yes, I know. I know puberty brings on changes, and while I did expect that, I guess I just... I wasn't prepared. When he was younger, I bathed him every single day, slathered him in baby lotion and baby powder. I never even used baby wipes, you know. Every time he soiled his diaper, I washed his little behind with soap and water. That's how careful I was with him. I did everything I could to train him to be a sanitary young man. But he just didn't learn the lessons that I taught him. It turns out teenagers are downright filthy. It got to a point where we would have screaming matches about him not bathing for days on end. The body odor, the grungy hair, the feet. Ugh. It was deja vu from seventh grade for me. I even told him my own story about the humiliation I went through and how I just wanted to protect him from it. I didn't want the world to humiliate him too. He thought I was crazy, just like his father. But like I've said, I am absolutely not crazy. Anyway, I couldn't very well strip and watch a 13-year-old right. I had to leave him be. <sighs> They both made me suffer through their filth and suffer I did. I loved them both so very much that I suffered and suffocated through their malodors. A few months ago, my nose caught a brand new scent in the home. It was an alien smell and I caught a hint of it when I walked past my husband's closet. Yes, that's right, we have separate closets. He would wear his clothes a few times before washing them, and I never wear anything more than once without washing it, so of course our clothes could not share a closet. Anyway, as I was saying, I caught this hint and stopped in my tracks. It was sweet and soft and distinct from my husband's muskiness. I saw a basket of his laundry sitting just inside the closet door, and I leaned in to make sure I wasn't imagining it. I wasn't. It was there, cloying and sweet. And I began frantically pulling his clothing out, examining one piece at a time, holding each shirt and undershirt and boxer briefs under my nose and taking deep breaths. It was a cheap, watered-down jasmine mixed faintly with cigarette smoke. And I found it on almost all of his clothes. See, my perfume collection is there, right over there on my dresser. Feel free to go through it. I assure you that you won't find a single jasmine scent among the dozens of bottles. I have never been able to wear it. It just gives me the worst headache. Gardenia, rose, lilac, peony. I can take all the florals. Just not jasmine. I mean, there's no mystery why. The reason is as conventional as it gets. My mother wore jasmine cologne and only jasmine cologne. She reeked of it. You know how strongly memories and smell are linked, right? I mean, that's common knowledge nowadays. Well, let's just say that jasmine is linked to memories that I'd rather forget. And yet, here it was, lightly scenting my husband's clothes. I knew about her even before I checked his phone or email. I even knew what she was like. I knew she was young, too young to have better taste in perfume. I knew that she was poor, too poor to afford expensive jasmine parfums. I knew that she was cheap and easy because I smelled her on my husband's briefs. You might think I flipped out then, confronted my husband, kicked him out of the house, collapsed in a pile of slobbering tears, but you'd be wrong. (laughs) You should have seen me. I was as calm as a yogi, as cautious as a fox creeping up to a hen house. I had spent years keeping a distance from my husband, but now I needed to get close to him to verify what I suspected, but really, what I was pretty sure that I already knew. Every day I began idling close to him, hovering around as he made his morning coffee, leaning in when he was speaking to me. I began putting my hand on his back when I walked past him, smoothing the stray hairs from his forehead, even plopping down right next to him on the couch as he watched TV and putting my head on his shoulder. I drew in long breaths and I smelled her, even through the rot in his mouth. I smelled her in the crook of his neck, on the backs of his hands, in the pits of his arms. Through the bile rising in my throat, the nausea clawing at my chest, I kept inhaling as deep as I could, feeding my fury. I stayed calm, but I stopped sleeping, stopped eating. The way you see me now, my cheeks hollow, my under eyes gray. I mean, I didn't look like this a few months ago. Every couple of days, I would creep back into his closet just to smell her again on his clothes. I admit, I became a little bit obsessed. I needed to know everything about her. About them. He kept his phone locked at all times, but a little searching on the internet, such a marvelous thing, isn't it? Landed me an app that let me see everything he texted, everyone he called, every site he browsed, and tracked everywhere he went. She was pretty much as I'd expected mid-twenties, nondescript, mousy brown hair, bony, and pale. Nothing much attractive about her. She could have been the checkout girl at a million dollar stores. A checkout girl who'd like to send nudes of herself to married men, that is. Didn't she realize how dangerous that was nowadays? They could end up anywhere, those pictures. Those daily visits that he took to the gym actually turned out to be visits to the Holiday Inn just down the road from us. That business trip he took last winter, well, That was actually an Airbnb with a hot tub in the Poconos. The baked ziti I sent for his co-workers. Apparently she loved it and froze half of it to eat later. They went to movies, smoked shisha, met for drinks, had dinner with her friends at fancy restaurants. He never met me for drinks. Never even met me for a coffee. I found the emails he deleted. In one of them, he had sent her a picture of me fast asleep my mouth open, face all slack, with the message, just look at her. His girlfriend responded, when are you getting rid of the ugly old bitch? And he emailed back, soon. I found the locked folder on his phone where he had screenshots for filthy messages and pictures, pictures of her alone, pictures of them in bed together, of them wrapped in each other's arms, lips pressed against lips. I peered closely at those pictures, at how easily she melted into his body. I looked for signs in her face that she was fighting revulsion, that his noxious breath was killing her. But I saw none. I found fabric disinfectants and three kinds of breath mints and air fresheners in his car, implements of his treachery meant to cover his tracks. He did well initially, I have to hand that to him, but then he got sloppy confident in getting away with the affair for so long. They'd been seeing each other for nearly a year, apparently. I remembered what a friend, or maybe it was Oprah, I can't really remember, had said years ago, once a cheater, always a cheater. What if, I thought, she wasn't the first? So I started going back through his even older emails, emails that he failed to delete because he never thought this day would come. You won't be surprised to know there was over a decade of it. All of this had been going on for years, ever since our son was born. Not with this twit, but with countless other women. Craigslist postings and back page hookups. Escorts and randoms he met at bars. Do you understand what it all means? I mean, I get it if you don't. After all, it took me a few days to piece it together, and then I realized this was what he had been accumulating in his gut. In his blood and soul. This was the root of his repugnant rot. All these years I had been smelling his very betrayal in his breath. I admit this was when many of my own faculties shut down. Do you know what it's like to lose all grasp of reality? My hands shook. Work was out of the question. Would you believe I started wetting the bed? I sobbed, but I also laughed at myself for believing I was so keen that I had the ability of a bloodhound to ferret out the truth of a person, when in truth I had no idea what was happening under my own nose. I thought back over the past 13 years, over how much of it was an illusion built on his deception, and I hated myself, and I hated him, but I also loved him. Anyway... It took days to come up with my plan, and then weeks to prepare. It came to me one morning as I was cleaning out my belly button with a Q-tip. I looked at the large brown bottle of hydrogen peroxide in my hand, and I realized that my husband had to be disinfected, inside and out. He had to die, that was a given, but also I had to purify him before sending him to his grave. I had to cleanse the rot out of him, as they say, by any means necessary. Remember I told you I couldn't sleep anymore? I don't think I've slept in a month, actually. As he slept, I prepared. Last weekend was it. Every Sunday morning, I go for my aromatherapy massage treatment, and my husband slouches like a slug on the couch for hours watching ESPN. I came back home and saw him there on the couch, and I knew it was time. I couldn't take another day of it. I watched him from behind as I dabbed a perfume oil roller on my neck and wrists. You see, I always try to kill the outdoor smell as soon as I can when I get back inside. Otherwise, I can barely function. And in that moment, I needed all my wits about me. I plunked myself down next to him, smelling of one of my favorite dark nerolian sandalwood oils. It was fitting for the occasion, deep and dark like his secrets. I took his hand into mine, and he briefly tore his eyes away from the television to look at me, totally confused. I kissed his knuckles and he raised his eyebrows. I whispered into his ear something I hadn't said in a long time. Do you want to come to the basement with me? To be honest, I wasn't sure he'd take me up on the offer. What with the fact that we barely ever touched maybe once every four months, and that he was apparently in the throes of passion with his girlfriend. But surprisingly, he did. He grinned and switched off the television and followed me downstairs. Why the basement and not our bedroom upstairs? Oh, well, I mean, it's an inside thing, code. Whenever we felt extra frisky, we always used the guest room in the basement. There's no windows, pitch darkness, and not a sound escapes. We could always make as much noise as we wanted without our son hearing a sound. But of course, I mean, that's not really why I led him to the basement. The real reason was because there was no way I could move his body downstairs after killing him. And if I couldn't get him downstairs, how would I be able to bury him in the pit that I spent every night of the last few weeks digging? See how well planned it was? Could a crazy person have thought all this through? Never. Anyway, I switched out the lights, and once he got undressed and comfortable in bed, I climbed on top of him. He was panting just slightly, and the fumes of his breath made me want to retch. And then I just did it. It took mere seconds. I had the syringe waiting under the pillow, filled to the tip with food grade hydrogen peroxide. You can buy it right off the internet, you know. I stabbed him in the neck with it and quickly jumped off the bed to turn on the light to see what would happen. And he was just laying there. He hadn't made a sound. He just had his hand up to his neck. He asked me if something had bit him and said his neck was burning. I didn't say a word. And just as he was starting to have seizures, I turned off the light and left. The next few days, I kept checking in on him, but he still wasn't dead. He was barely breathing, but he was breathing still. Covered in vomit and foam and God knows what. It was a terribly painful cleansing, I have to say. The hydrogen peroxide forced all of his foul fluids out of his body, but it was necessary. I wanted to purge him of his deeds for his own sake. On Thursday, when I checked, well, he was finally, thankfully, dead. I can't tell you how hard it was for me to have to smell all of that for days. Now, I could finally bury him along with the disgusting bedding and clean up the space. I'm not even sure if the mattress is salvageable, to be honest. Anyway, I rolled him up in the sheets and dragged him to the storage room to the corner that I had dug up night after night. I had to break through the concrete first, you know. You could call it a labor of love. I wanted him, even in death, to be close to me. I pushed him into the pit gently, had to fold him up a bit because I really didn't have the strength to dig up a full size grave. He was over six feet tall, after all. I packed the dirt that I'd removed around him and smoothed it out, and then I had to take a break. I didn't get to mixing and pouring the concrete until late that night after a nice, long nap. A girl needs her strength, right? You know, It wasn't until I was mixing up those bags of concrete in the bathtub that I realized I should have worked in construction. The smell of wet concrete, it's close second to petrichor. Ugh, something magical happens when water meets clean dirt or clay, or in this case, concrete. I say, just encase me in concrete when I die. (sighs) It just smells so soothing. Where was I? Oh yes, so I poured buckets of concrete over the dirt, made it as even as possible, and the next day was pretty much dry. That was it. I thought it was all over. But as you can see, it most certainly was not. The next day he got calls and emails from work for not showing up, and I ignored them. Then came texts from his girlfriend, and to her I responded, I'm sorry, it's over. I can't see you anymore. I love my wife. And then I blocked her on his phone and emails. I thought that was fair and truthful, too. I mean, he can't see her anymore, right? And if he didn't love me, he would have left me by now. That night, I posted her nudes on various sites around the internet, and then I took a lovely long hot bath infused with lavender. They make these amazing bath bombs now, they just completely perfume the air. I put on my favorite silk eye mask, and I got into bed otherwise naked as the day I was born ready for the best sleep of my life, but it never came. I couldn't sleep because of the rot. At first it was subtle and I thought, oh no, it's been a few days since I cleaned my belly button. I bent over to check, but nope, it wasn't coming from my body. I leaned over to sniff my husband's pillow even though it made no sense to do so because I changed the pillow covers and sheets every single day. It was impossible for any part of him to be lingering on my bed. But as the night wore on, the odor got stronger and stronger. It was as if he was right there, breathing directly onto me, in my face, taunting me. I opened the windows, turned on the ceiling fan. It didn't help a single bit. Was it possible, I thought? Could I be smelling him through the layers of dirt and concrete and two floors of our home? Guess what? I was. I went down to the main floor and the stench was stronger there. Then into the basement and it was so overwhelming I nearly passed out. I covered my nose with a towel and crept into the storage room. And there, in the corner, everything was as I had left it. Perfectly untouched. The concrete smooth and dry and hard. And yet, the stink was so overpowering I gagged my head swam. I gathered all the incense I could find in the house, lit every candle, turned on every vent. Nothing helped. I finally just locked myself in the bathroom upstairs, trying to get as far away as possible from it and spent the night there. The next morning, it seemed a little better. I managed to get through my morning coffee and yoga and then suddenly his sister came by. She was worried that she hadn't heard from him in a couple of days. Well, I told her, he left me. Left me for his girlfriend. You can imagine the shock on her face when I told her about his infidelities. She didn't believe me, so I pulled out my phone and I showed her some of the pictures and text messages I had forwarded to myself. She actually started crying, poor thing, very upset that her little brother could do such a terrible thing. And just about then, the stench returned. It was almost as if it came up in a wave, rising up through the floor from the basement. I felt like I was going to choke on it. Yet I kept my face completely composed. I was sure she was going to say something at any moment, ask what was rotting, demand to know what the odor was. But she never said a word. And despite feeling absolutely slapped in the face with the fumes, I stayed calm and collected, not a bead of sweat, not a hair out of place. She even asked me how I was so peaceful, and I told her that, well, I had known about the affair for months and had just been waiting patiently hoping that he would come to his senses. The sweet thing. Her eyes filled up with fresh tears at that and she pulled me into a hug. Butter fried eggs and orange juice. I could tell that's what she had for breakfast. I could even smell it through the air filled with her brother's stinking breath. You know she was quite livid that he left me after all I had just gone through with our son. We lost him a year ago when he took his own life. Every week I left bottles of bleach in his room for him to scrub it and his bathroom with, and one night he just drank half a bottle and got in bed and never got up. His father blamed me for weeks, said that I drove him to it with years of bullying and rejection. As if I had rejected my own child, I loved him more than anything or anyone I've ever loved. The flesh of my flesh. I longed to hold him to my bosom the way I was able to when he was a baby or to cuddle with him at bedtime and sing him to sleep as I did years ago. But his rot pushed me away in the last few years. I wouldn't get close to him because I didn't want him to see the look of repulsion on my face. Don't you see? I did it to protect him because I loved him. I was a good mother, a loving mother, just as I was a good wife. I was faithful to them both. I never left them, even though neither of them did anything to help me get close to them. Anyway, for the next hour, she just sat and wept and held my hands and tried to console me, all the while oblivious to the stinking air. I ended up in tears too, thanks to the stench. How was it possible that she smelled nothing? I thought maybe she was putting me on, maybe she was trying to be polite. But no, it was as if she did not detect a thing. The next couple of days, I tell you, I scrubbed every inch of the house, the floors, the walls with disinfectant. I washed all of the linens and towels. I washed the carpets and sofas. I cleaned every surface I thought could be holding the stench. And still it remained gagging me, mocking me. When I left the house, it began following me. In my car, in my garden, at the local coffee shop. It was relentless. Finally, I did the only thing left for me to do. I found the sharpest blade in my husband's shaving kit, and I passed it through the flame of our stove until I was sure it was sterilized. Then I numbed my nose with ice for half an hour, closed my eyes, and like the nuns of St. Cyr, I sawed it off to try and save myself. I don't know how long ago that was. I think I fainted clean away after cutting off the organ that tormented me my entire life, And it was you officers that found me and awoke me. And God, how I wish I hadn't awoken. Because still, 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 I smell the rot. Remember, dear listeners, pay attention to the pet peeves of people that are close to you. You never know when those seemingly small irritations might one day drive someone mad. Nighty-night, don't let the nightmares bite. This story was based on a tale that we are all familiar with, Edgar Allan Poe's The Tell-Tale Heart. But in adapting it, I did bring my very own personal touch to it. The curse of having a hound dog's sense of smell. Yeah, that's mine. I have lived with it my entire life for better or worse, but mostly worse. The terribly stinky ankle boots. Yup, I wore them all of seventh grade. The layers and layers of scented body wash and lotions and powders and perfumes. That's me almost every day. You'll be happy to know though, that my husband and children are doing just fine. After all, I'm not crazy. Did you know, by the way, though, that there is another story behind the Telltale Heart? The legend goes that Edgar Allan Poe was inspired by a real-life murder, the murder of Captain Joseph White in 1830 in the town of Salem, Massachusetts, because, well, of course, this is going to happen in Salem, Massachusetts. 82-year-old Captain White was murdered by an assassin hired by his grandnephew, who had recently learned that he was being written out of the rich old man's will. The grand-nephew and his co-conspirators were soon caught and prosecuted by none other than the infamous Daniel Webster. Chief Prosecutor Webster, who was a classically trained orator, delivered such a powerful and spellbinding closing argument to the jury that it went down in legal history as, quote, at once a masterpiece of English prose and of forensic argumentation. It also led to the perpetrator's hanging. Now, it was that closing argument that Edgar Allan Poe read and used to pattern the speech of the murderous narrator in the Telltale Heart. Oh, and one last note, the reference to the nuns of Saint-Cyr? Well, in the 9th century, the nuns in the Saint-Cyr Monastery in Marseille cut off their own noses in the hope that they would be spared sexual assault by Saracen soldiers who were invading their convent. The attempt did indeed spare them from sexual attack, but unfortunately, it didn't spare their lives. All of the nuns, every last one, was assassinated. Tonight's story was written by Rabia Chaudhry. Nighty Night is executive produced by Rabia Chaudhry and Colin Thompson. It's produced by DJ Lou Bell. It's edited and sound designed by Anton Dodi. Original music by Andrew Gerlicker. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach. Nothing by the pool, walking kind of nowhere, and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight, so you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia, made to travel.